You are listening to the Indie Game Development Podcast Show, sponsored by CurioSoft Kids Games and the letter E. Visit the Indie Game Development Podcast site at www.indiegamepod.com. Thanks again for listening to the show. This interview is inspired by a quick meetup at the Game Developers Conference. I also wanted to thank the folks that have put up their info on the Game Dev Wiki. For those of you looking to promote your game, blog, or site, feel free to put your info on the wiki too. Now on to the interview. Welcome to the Indie Game Development Podcast show today. With me as a special guest, how about you introduce yourself? Um, hi, uh, my name is Michael Welch with Blue Eyes Productions. Um, we write games. How did you get into games? Um, well, you know, just like anyone else, I used to play a lot of them when I was a kid, back on the Commodore 64 and the Amiga. Uh, it's just kind of a you know an obsession of mine, really. How did you get into the indie game scene? Well, as far as the being an indie is concerned, um, I've well, I don't know. I guess I've been indie before it was indie. You know, my first <laughs> Shara game came out in, back in uh, 1993 on the Amiga, so you know, a lot of people would consider the Amiga PD scene <laughs> to be you know indie, but we're talking way long time ago, so. Uh, I guess. Go ahead. Oh, oh, that's off. Oh, I can go on and on about that stuff. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, what inspired you to make a shareware game for the Amiga? Well, that's a, an interesting question. There was a game on the PC. Well, seeing as that I was an Amiga zealot, um, there was a game on the PC called Scorched Earth, and you know, up until that point, I had. Um, I didn't really think much of PCs in general, and you know, basically everything Amiga was cool. And uh, a friend of mine, you know, showed me his lame PC, you know, back at 386 at the time, I believe. And uh, he showed me Scorched Earth, and even though I had really crummy graphics, uh, it was really awesome gameplay. And I was just, you know, in shock that the Amiga didn't have anything like that. So I took it upon myself to make it, like you know, any good loyal Amiga person would at the time. When you made this, did you? Did you have the intention of selling it, or how did you get it out there? How did you make it into a shareware product? Well, I was, um, well, you know, as a programmer, you tend to make lots of game demos. And, you know, I'd show my friends, and most people would think it was rubbish, whatever I was working on. But uh, for, for the first time, <laughs> I know, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Um, for, the, for the first time, um, when, I, when I started working on this game for the Amiga, people actually got behind me. So, you know, I kind of worked it out, you know, over, you know, I was in college, and I was, I had three months, and I finished it up, and I decided at the end of that I was really tired, and I thought, well, you know, people seem to think it's okay, and I think it's okay, you know, I'll probably never make any money, but hey, let's just look professional and call it shareware and, you know, put a price on it and have people uh, send me money if they want to. And, and, and I never expected to get any letters. I, re I really didn't. <laughs> and, and what happened after you put it out? Well, like, after about a week, I started getting letters in the mail. People were sending Excellent. me money from all over the world. So, I mean, not lots of money, you know, but enough yeah. to go, hey, well, maybe they got something here. So, yeah. How did you feel? Very, when very, you got very humble beginnings. Oh, how did you feel when you got your first set of letters and checks? Oh, shock, really. Okay. Great. <laughs> I mean, uh, who would have expected that? I mean, again, the Amiga scene was was a little <laughs> different back then. It was really small, and everyone kind of, you know help each other out, I guess. I didn't realize that at the time. So It takes a lot of nerve to, well, at least back then, to, to actually yeah. release something to the public. 
how did you how did you promote an Amiga game? Did you put it on bulletin boards or was there some other? I way? just I just uploaded it to Genie and it kind of went from there. It's kind of like uh, how it goes for me now. You know, I don't I never market anything. I just release stuff <laughs> and people seem to download it and play it. So it's a uh, yeah. When people try to do what I do, I just say you know forget about it. You can't you can't copy <laughs> me because I I don't do anything except you know make products and they sell themselves. Okay. So it, it, it was that way then, and it's that way now. It's just, you know, I release stuff, and people seem to like it, and, you know, I'm blessed in that respect. After you released this game, were you thinking of making another game? Well, heck, who wouldn't? <laughs> but, you know, real life kind of crashed into things, um, you know, being in college and all. So, you know, you have to get a real job, got married, things like that. But actually, uh, my experiences on the Amiga had led me to uh, an actual uh, uh, game company. Uh, old friend of mine named Mike Bay who runs our Retro 64 actually um, you know we were both artillery game programmers on the Amiga and so we ended up you know instead of competing we actually worked you know we talked and stuff like that so he got me a job in the industry and that's kind of how this all really started you know taking off how did you then get into PC developing PC games like well, that well when I say happened. PC games I mean shareware <laughs> PC games Oh, well, see, I'd been in the industry for a couple of years there, and uh, that's where kind of DX Ball came along. Um, that was uh, my first PC release. Um, I had been a game developer for like a year or two for uh, an edutainment uh, game company, and uh, so I already had all the, you know, I'd already transferred all my knowledge from the Amiga, and I'm, you know, I was up and running on the PC. So I, you know, I was, it was one of the first, it was one of the first like Win, Windows 95 DirectX games, and that's, so I kind of started right, right there, just as soon as the PC stopped really being crappy for game development, you know, because Win32 and uh, yeah. WinG and all that, you know, stuff was just bad. So and DirectX was actually kind of groovy, like the Amiga. So I kind of <laughs> went with that. I was inspired. What inspired you to do DX Ball compared to another type of game? Well, my wife loved Mega Ball, and Mega Ball is, you know, by far. You know, one of my favorite games of all time. It was just this really great breakout game. It, they actually had an AGA version of it, which means on the Amiga it had 256 colors. It was just so many colors, it would burn your retinas, you know, compared to, like, say, 32. So, you know, there was Mega Ball AGA, and it was awesome. It was the only game my, my wife really liked playing, and I thought to myself, well, heck, you know, the PC, there's no good breakout games on the PC, really. There wasn't, and DX Ball was, or DirectX was so new. I figured, well, why don't I just you know port it over? And that's why DX Ball was freeware. I never really was trying to make any money. I was just trying to make something cool. You release it as freeware. What what happens? Any <laughs> any other surprises? Well, that, again, uh, oh sure. I mean, I think that's pretty much how it went for me. Um, <laughs> well, again, you know, it's kind of like with Scorch Tank. You just release it. And, you know, some people start sending you money. Well, you know, with DX Ball, I didn't want to get in trouble with my boss. So I'm like, well, to get all around that, I released it as freeware. It didn't mean he didn't try to borrow it from me. And thankfully, that didn't happen. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't, I, yeah, I'm sure people in the industry know all about these sorts of things. <laughs> you make something good and your boss wants it. But, yeah. anyways, um, basically, all of a sudden, you know, I had this crummy little web page. We're talking 1996 here, you know, and I, and I just put my email, um, put my email address in the game, and I said, well, if you want access to the free editor, just send me an email. That's all I wanted, you know, just in, just send me an email saying, hey, this is cool, and uh, 
you know, right off the bat, I was getting like 60 plus emails a day from from people wow. just you know saying how much they enjoyed it. So, yeah, it was a it was a pretty huge response, especially back for then. And heck, <laughs> I'm really glad that I don't get 60 emails a day these days. That would be really hard to keep up with. So, did you initially think to put it on the web, or were you thinking of a different or another way to distribute it? No, I, it was always freeware. It was always just going to be. I might heck, just put it on the web. I, you know, it's. You know, there was a. I think there was like a Win32. dot uh, com or something like that. I'm trying to remember, but. Yeah. Yeah, I was. It was. I just put it. Up, basically, it was the equivalent to download.com. That's all I ever did. I just, you know, put it up there and made a, a cheesy little website and. So it was so free, can, and it got downloaded a lot. So. You get this awesome response. What are you thinking next? In terms of either freeware or shareware development or game development in general. Well, after DX Ball, well, I, um, I don't know. I mean, those were interesting times. I was working really hard as a game developer, and there wasn't much time to do anything more elaborate. So uh, it just kind of was in stasis. I mean, you know, DX Ball was cool, and I thought, well, heck, it'd be cool to do another one. But I mean, it was as far as I was concerned, as good as it was going to get. For the time, so I, I actually, you know, I had no plans to do anything with it except, wow, that was really neat. Because at the time, people weren't making money from downloadable games. It just wasn't happening in '96. It was so brand new that uh, it was really just, you know, I, I had friends that had, you know, tried to you know, sell things through various publishers, and you know, well, you know, we'll give you 50 percent, you know, if, and then we'll put your big game in a box. And none of those things ever worked out. So I was really quite happy to have just, you know, kept it kept it free and kept it, you know, free both in cost and in uh, not having any publishers or controlling factors in it, so. What was your next shareware game after that? Well, there was the whole story with the X-Ball 2 with uh, Longbow Digital Arts and Seamus, but uh, that was not my next game. That was kind of what they did, and that was a whole other, that's a whole other story arc. But uh, really, uh, <laughs> do, once do I got over that, that, or is that, I you know I could go on about that, and I, I you know um, I miss Seamus dearly. You know I'm, I'm sure you realize that he was the, he's the the fellow that did the um, uh, the Seamus McNally uh, award for yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually wrote DX Ball two for me. Oh wow! So <laughs> well, actually, he wrote it. Yeah, he wrote it, and um, that was really great and complicated. And how, great. <laughs> how did that come about? Oh, we've been friends since the Amiga days. He was okay. always just this really, really awesome programmer. So, and I was always like, "Well, hey, I'm a cool, I'm a cool game developer now, and I work for a game company. Let's, you know, let's talk again." Because he was like always a really good developer, but I, you know, he didn't really do anything with development um, that I had known of. So I kind of, you know, came in and said, "Well, hey, you know, long time no see. Let's talk about this." So we, you know, I kind of got him back into game development, and of course, he's like way better programmer than I am. So it was kind of a neat experience to, you know, <laughs> inspire yeah. in and, that respect. So. And so DX Ball Two gets done. What what happened with it? What? Oh, it went crazy. As far as I can c- tell, it was probably the most popular uh, downloadable game of its day. So, uh, as I said, that it was you know the, the concept of actually selling games, not just you know releasing them, you know for free or shareware or whatever, but the the concept of actually like you know set up e-commerce and selling it. This was 1998, yeah. By the way, and it was early, and uh, it went it was it was huge. So, I, that's all I I can say. It was huge. It was huger than anything I've done to date, and things yeah. like that. So after you amazing. realized that something could be that huge, were you thinking that this could be uh 
something that you take seriously or anything? Well, certainly. I think anybody would, except that, you know, in that point in my life, I wasn't a game developer anymore. I was, you know, I had a corporate job, you know, working as a programmer and, you know, had a family and a house. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> well, look at what neat things that are happening. I, it's nice to kind of watch from a distance. So, but, uh, no, naturally, it took a couple of years to, uh, to kind of absorb all that and factor everything out. And, you know, after about two or three years, um, I decided to actually, you know, try starting my own company. So that's where Bulletwise came in, in 2001. And what was the first product that Bulletwise made? Uh, Pocket Tanks. Okay, and what's that game about? It's an artillery game. It's basically uh, the future of Scorch Tanks, which was my original Amiga game. Um, it's basically just a simplified, uh, simplified artillery game using the scorched earth kind of, you know, fancy weapons and things like that. Though, you know, you can compare it to scorched earth, but I think at this point I kind of have my own precedence there in scorched tanks. <laughs> you know, I mean, for you PC people, I'll say scorched earth, but ultimately it's just a cool artillery game. That you know, I've been developing artillery games for oh since '93, so I've got uh, what 14 years experience as an artillery game developer. You know, <laughs> so that's um, pocket tanks. Okay, what about Super DX Ball? How did that come about? Was is that DX Ball two or what's? Um, Super DX Ball was just well, I, I kind of did that for me. I mean, as as I'm sure you can imagine, with the creation of DX Ball two and eventually, um, you know, the author passing away, and and things got a little complicated, you know, between us as people, not so much as businesses. And, and uh, you know, I just wanted to give it enough time, you know, to pay, you know, Seamus uh, homage for, for the incredible work that he did. But um, in my heart, I always wanted to make another DX Ball. And that's a, that's a difficult thing, you know. DX Ball comes out in 96, you know, DX Ball 2 comes out in 98, written by someone else, more popular than anything I could ever do. And then, you know, then he passes away. And it's like, what do you do? So, you know, by 2004, I had been in business for about three years. And, I, you know, I decided, well, it was time to, it was time to you know, do something and do it the way I would have done it. You know, if there was a, a DX Ball 2 that had been written by me, this is what I had had in mind. But instead, I called it Super DX Ball 2 and, you know, things like that. Because, you know, I think it all, you know, it's all, it's all good. It's just, you know, there was... This was this is my vision of what the next DX Ball game would be, and it's very retro, for better or worse. Okay, let's get back to Pocket Tanks. You you released this game. Was there anything different about this game development process, or or what was the game development process like for this game? Well, it took me about eight months to write it. So, um, uh, the development process itself, I. Uh, you know, it stands, it's pretty much the same as what I always do. You know, you sit down, you you draw a bunch of pictures, you think about what's cool. Um, in terms of you know things I've done in the past as a as a in the industry, it's 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 very very similar. It's a two D game, so it's not it's not much different than what I've already had been doing for years. Even though I wasn't a, you know in the industry at that time, so this game it it has a multiplayer feature. Right. Well, true. That's pretty much its primary, uh, primary factor. There is people playing together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Two player. Uh, yeah. Well, I was wondering if, um, yeah, if if it was more popular being played as two player or ver person versus computer. Oh, definitely, people are playing it together. 
It's, uh, I think when people play it by themselves, they're just practicing to play it together. Um, you hear about people, well, I, I imagine a lot of people play it, you know, with, against the computer AI, but, I mean, generally, when people send me email, they're talking about how they're playing it with their kids, they're playing it with their grandparents, they're playing it with, you know, their friends at school, they're, you know, playing it while sitting around drinking beer. You know, I mean, I, nobody ever really talks about single player except on rare occasion. I, I really, people are playing it together. Have you thought of making an online version of this? Um, you know, as as you've seen the downloadable market expand and this whole online game industry take take form, has that ever crossed your mind, or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think ever since I released it. See, here's the problem: <laughs> is that I'm not really a very good network game programmer. I'm really kind of an artist who knows enough nuts and bolts to get the job done as a programmer. So really I'm okay. a programmer, but I like the graphics. And the sound is okay, and the network programming sounds really boring. So, uh, of course, that has factored into my design process, which means there is no concept for multiplayer. Um, so for many years we've been kind of stumbling around. We do have network support and pocket tanks, but it's not public. It's not, it's not available to the public. So, I mean, yeah, we're working on it, and in fact, I, uh, we're working on it more now, actually. We're trying to get some uh, code in there for reliable packets through UDP, and I mean, but we're not talking about this to the public. It's just, it's, you know, this ongoing process of somehow finding a way to uh, get up the, uh, the resources required to actually, you know, make a full network player game. Because, you know, ultimately, if I had waited to make Pocket Tanks until it was networks ready, um, it never would have been released. And obviously, yeah, you absolutely. would have seen how, how far would, would I have gone if I was if it was 2007, and I had been in business for six years, and I wasn't making any money, so you know, network support can really slow you down if you don't have the right uh, resources for that. But it hasn't really altered the you know the game. People still seem to like yeah. it. Not as much as DX Ball, but you know, hey, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. When you when you release Pocket Tanks, did you pretty much post it on some website, or was there any other kind of unique or interesting well, way to market it, promote it? Nope. I just uh, made a website, you know, a good one this time, because I have a real business. I wanted to look good. And uh, I just put it up on download.com and a few other places. Maybe, you know, I, I think at the time, the whole concept of doing those programs where you upload a zillion different shareware websites, that was a new concept. So <laughs> I tried that, you know, so I just uploaded all the, you know, hundreds of shareware websites and uh, download.com, and that was it. When you uploaded this, were you involved in the indie game scene, or were you involved in, say, the shareware game scene or shareware development scene? Or I've never really it... been involved in any scene, to be perfectly honest with you. I have uh, my friends that I speak with, and um, they're all part of the scene, but uh, generally I just kind of like listen and watch and laugh. You know, <laughs> I mean, the whole portal thing is just a riot. <laughs> And I feel really bad for anyone coming into the industry right now. You know, the truth is, is you know, good games, you know, good games sell. And, and well, even, yeah. Except for, of course, on the portals. So there's just so much competition. It's just craziness. So yeah. I wouldn't even. When you I release, don't know. It just doesn't seem fair. <laughs> <laughs> when you release your game, there wasn't necessarily as much of a clear idea of what the market could be and where it was going. Mm -hmm. What, what were you thinking next after you released the game? Were you talking to other game developers, or were you thinking of your next game? Or well, sure. I you know I, I have you know friends that I talk to and stuff. Uh, I uh, <laughs> my naive concept back in two thousand and one was um, make a game every make a game every six months, and you know theoretically <laughs> for every game you make you'll sell five a day, and 
you know, so if you just keep doing that for a couple of years, you'll be making enough money to maybe quit your day job. So, of course, I had already quit my day job, so I was already pretty desperate. <laughs> it was already a desperate situation. So, so um, no, that was that was the concept of the day: is that you know, if you release a good game like you know, we usually release, um, that you'd get five a day. Now, that doesn't that isn't true. <laughs> It wasn't true yeah. then, and it, is, it isn't true now either. In fact, you could make a game in six months and make nothing, or even if it's a good one. So, or it could be in six weeks, and it could be killer. You know, I haven't heard too many stories like that, but I, I think that it's, I think, I, I think that unfortunately things like that are true. <laughs> so, I, it, it, it's again, you know, life isn't fair, and you know, who, who decides what's gonna, you know, what ultimately decides if it's gonna be a good game or not. So. What was the next game after Pocket Tanks that you decided to develop? Well, after Pocket Tanks was Super DX Ball. And that took about two or three years to make. So That had been an idea that I had in the back of my head for about seven years. You know, the, the concept of the triangular uh, grid bricks, things like that. To, to give, you know, angles, but not, you know, not just... I wasn't really looking at other breakout games when uh, when I made Super DX Ball. I was just looking at what I wanted to make for the next DX Ball. And I, and I think a lot of people like that fact, and they also can pan it at the same time, because, you know, clearly I'm not, you know, keeping up to the, the modern breakout standards. But, you know, at the same time, I, I kind of was there at the beginning, so maybe I have the right to, you know, kind of just do what I want. I don't really have to copy anyone, but I mean, maybe that's just me making myself feel better. <laughs> but but ultimately, I, I you know marched to the beat of my own drum, and it's you know it's cool. I think it's a great. I still think it plays better than than a lot of other breakout yeah, games. Yeah, I, I think like it's, it's I think slushy. it's inspired um, some other uh, ideas in other breakout games. Has it really? I don't look. I, I mean, <laughs> from from what I noticed, well, that's when, when you were developing this, you said it took two or three years. That's that's a bit longer than a six month time frame. You were thinking, what were your thoughts then during that development process? Uh, <laughs> well, okay. I mean, you have to understand. You know, I finished Pocket Tanks six months after creating uh, Blitwise, and and you know the problem with starting your own company and being the game programmer is that it's like having two jobs. So basically, there was a massive slowdown after the release of Pocket Tanks because you know naturally I have to learn how to run a business. So I was thinking a lot of different things. Most of them, how am I ever going to get the time to actually finish a game? So it's been an interesting ride. When you were developing Super DX Ball, did you go about testing it differently, or did you do extensive user testing or even change the way you developed your games compared to Pocket Tanks? No, nothing changed at all. And I don't usually do user testing. <laughs> I usually just make my games and release them. I don't look for a lot of outside input. I just don't. Great. You, so you release Super DX Ball. What are you thinking then? <laughs> I hope it sells. <laughs> but, um, I mean, in, in the, the long and the short of Super DX Ball is, well, you know, it's great to make retro games and things like that, but I, I'm not convinced that, uh, I mean, it was great to do, but uh, I don't know. I, it's, uh, yeah. I think were, I, could were you thinking... I could do better. <laughs> Were you thinking of staying on the retro theme, or were you thinking of also branching out and possibly going into the casual game space or some of these new and emerging game markets? At the time? Yeah. In 2004? No, at 2004 I was still not thinking about the casual scene. I don't. What was the casual scene doing in 2004? Um, you know, I think um, PopCap Games was kind of just getting known, and then there's like mm -hmm. the indie game scene and like Steve Tavlina 
Steve Pavlina's forum site and stuff like that were taking off and gaining more steam and momentum. And then the portals were, of course, rising and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I, I think I was quite happy to just stay out of it. I, um, you know, at the time, I mean, now these days, naturally, I think to myself, should I make a casual game? Should I make a casual game? But um, I don't know. I don't really feel like it. I think that if somebody wanted to give me $100,000, I suppose I would. But, um, you know, so long as I'm, you know, happy with doing what I'm doing, I'm not trying to get rich, you know. I know it's a big gold rush right now. And, um, I, you know, and there's a lot of mystery to it. And I think I'm really kind of happy just doing what I'm doing. So, yeah, I mean, naturally, I think about doing casual games and, you know, the whole question between casual and core. And Well, frankly, I think my games have always been both. And... I, I don't know. I, I try not to analyze it too much. I just, you know, my games have, you know, ever since DX Ball, you know, you get emails from people that you've really, you know, affected their lives. You know, like I'll never forget the time where, you know, I got an email from a mother who had told me how her uh, son had fallen through the ice and had brain damage from being underwater and then talks about, like, how your game is, you know, bringing him back. You know, he's actually getting wow. some hand-eye, you know, motor function things. And, you know, things like that just happen. You know, it's just, and you're never going to get that from the portal scene, and you're never going to get that from all the things that people are doing right now. If you really want to impact the world, you've, you gotta, you gotta go your own way. I, I just believe that. So, as much as I'm tempted to try, you know, casual or do core, you know, I just do what I think is right. So, and it works out. You know, I'm, I can talk to people that buy my games, and they really like it, and, and it's. You know, I'm just, you know, doing my best. How close are you, say, to your customer scene or your customer base? Do you converse with them or talk with them in some deep way, you know, on a consistent basis? Or is it mostly putting out the games there and possibly answering support emails? Well, I get a lot of thank you letters. I mean, um, you know, we do get tech support. And, you know, you get a lot of tech support. But um, people email me personally. You know, and that was always, you know, back on the Commodore 64 when when I was growing up. And, um, you know, you'd, you'd look at a game and, you know, people might just enjoy the game and play it and then be done with it. But I was always the kid that looked at the, the <laughs> names, you know. Oh, look, Chris Butler wrote this game, too. He's obviously very cool. You know, or you look at the, the musicians' names. And, you just, and, you know, so my, my philosophy, even up to now, is, you know, put your name on the product and stand for something. And, and I think that... It, it, so yeah, you people, know, I, that was one thing I did notice with your games is that you did put your name on there, which was a bit different than what other people do. Yeah, and I don't really do it because I want the attention. I, oh, I, I do it. I do I it. Never said that. I, I do it because it's it feels right to me. That's you know, like being the author of a book. You know, to be it's just you know you should stand stand for what you do. And, you know, be willing to put your name on it. And, you know, a lot of companies these days, especially with the portals, which is, you know, they have their own ways of making money. But ultimately, you know, they have these nice little DRM packages and stuff where you kind of, like, take your name and then you just stick it on someone else's game and then package it all up and sell it on your site and it looks like it's yours. I don't get it. Now, maybe we'll do something like that if, if I find that there's a, you know, a way of making money doing that, I suppose. But, you know, and just my, my basic philosophy of uh, game development is you, you want, you putting your name on it or, or your brand is, is very, very important to uh, reaching people. Do you... Not just, not just the money they have. <laughs> <laughs> do, 
Do you do you also try to get other people to help you develop these games in terms of say artwork or development or sound or music stuff like that? Oh, we're working on that now. Um, you know, a little little hit and miss. Um, I you know have an artist that I'm I'm working with, and I'm really you know the, the funny thing is is that I I am tr- trying to uh, learn how to be you know the team leader, and I'm trying to learn how to manage projects. And you have to understand, you know, for how long I've been, you know, basically a game programmer. That's what I do. And now I'm a business owner. And now I have to figure out how to be like a system engineer with, like, flowcharts. And now I also have to learn how to be a lead artist so I can draw pictures for everyone else to make pictures on. So getting help requires massive amounts of coordination. And I'm a game programmer. So, so yes, we're working on getting help. But at this point, no, I, I really... I, uh, you know, somebody helps me with my tech support, and I have, uh, I have an intern who helps me with running uh, the bulletin board and the forums and uh, some servers and stuff. And, you know, they all help me with, you know, various testing. And, and we do get some, you know, programming help here and there, but, and, but <laughs> we're still working that out. How's that? Great. So you talked about managing folks and how you had to transition from game developer to actually handling the coordination um, have there been any surprises with this transition or anything that you've had to change because of it, like in terms of your mentality or how you run your business? Well, I don't think, I don't think there's been any surprises because I knew that it would be really hard. Um, you know, when it comes to growing, and I have to understand, this is a shareware game company. We, we, <laughs> you know, um, we aren't making lots and lots of money. So everyone's working part-time and, you know, because, you know, they like me <laughs> and things sure. like that. So, but of, of that realm of, you know, control and uh, having employees, um, I've had success in, in, in getting people to do the things like, say, customer support or managing servers. But in terms of the actual creative things, you know, the programming and the art and the game design, I, you know, as much as I, I've been working on it, it's really, really hard for me to uh, get that out. Everyone seems to think I'm really, uh, my, my vision is, <laughs> you know, really high and difficult to manage. So I, obviously I need to figure out more mechanics, you know, more system engineer things, you know, more flowcharts and pictures. And so, so I'm growing as a person, learning how to pass along the things that I kind of do instinctively. Um, how do you... How do you take what I do instinctively and give it to three different people, you know, for art, programming, and design? I don't know yet. But it's, a, it's been a real challenge, and it's an interesting challenge, and it'll be really great when I figure it out. <laughs> is, is it hard because you've got one vision, and then your artists obviously have another conception of what needs to, or what they see as how it should look? Actually, no, that hasn't been a problem. Everyone's always happy to do something, but... I don't know. I think I think they sense that I have something very specific in mind, and it and it, and it freaks them out. <laughs> so I guess I I, uh, I don't know. It's it's uh it's hard to it's hard to describe. I you know I can't really say more than that. Other than they just don't know what to do because I'm just so sure of what I want. <laughs> Over the past couple of years, there's been this emergence of the concept of community on the internet. You know, it's it's gotten to become like a buzzword. Do you see or have you taken any steps to actually build a community around your games or to leverage the people in your community to help you develop your games or even help you out in terms of your website and other things? Well, actually, that's an interesting question because, you know, one of the first things we did when I hired my first employee back about seven, eight months ago was, okay, you get to do customer support and we're going to try 
running a forum. Now, you know, a previous experience and knowledge passed along to me about having a forum on your game website is that people are mostly going to use it to pirate your games. So, <laughs> oh, really? You know, wow. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty much you know, the knowledge that was passed down to me. And so I thought, well, heck, if I've actually got somebody devoted to doing customer support and maybe handling uh, um, the forum stuff, then you know, actually full-time moderating, then, well, heck, we'll, we'll give it a try and see what happens. You know, oh, it's a mistake. But no, I went for it. <laughs> and yeah, actually, it's been great. You know, the people that uh, visit the Blitwise forums are, you know, very, 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 very helpful. Um, now, I, you won't see me talk there very much. And in fact, my, <laughs> I, I guess I hold true in lots of different ways. You know, just I pretty much kind of keep to myself, even though I have my own forums. But uh, when I do drop in, everyone always seems happy to hear from me. And um, we actually do have a beta group that um, that helps me with uh, testing with various uh, things and it's working out really really great so you know as, as, as doom and gloom as it was for somebody in my position to uh, open up a forums on my website actually the community has been incredibly uh, supportive and even though you get lots of weird junk on forums and you have to heavily moderate it because there's some weird weird people um, it's been good it's been really good More, it's been one of the, the great things that has happened in the past seven eight months are you, like, in terms of moderation, is it really that, is there extensive moderation that's needed? Or? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, spammers are bad, and people that talk about naughty things are bad. <laughs> so okay. we, have a, we have a terms of service, uh, you know, we had the, a lawyer draw it up and things like that, and we have all these COPA rules, and, and it, takes a, it takes a lot of doing to uh, keep all the, keep the noise out, keep the spam out, and keep the, the freaky people that talk about scary things to small people out. <laughs> it's a big job. Uh, are you job. thinking of adding any other community features for your site or to promote well, your site? Well, what else would there be? Uh, social network. I'm not sure what that means, to be perfectly honest with you. You mean like YouTube or? Um, well, yeah, like MySpace or something. Now, now they MySpace? have something where you can pump out a social network in 10 minutes. So I have, I it's have actually no... easier to set, this, set up a social network than it is to set up a forum now. Really? Yeah. That's because you don't have to moderate it. Or do you? Um, you probably may have to moderate it. I, I noticed on your forums you do have like fan pictures and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and so you might, you know, you might have to moderate the pictures or stuff like that. But no, it's just that now there's actually this site called ning.com, and that's like if you look at uh, the Independent Game Development Podcast show, like we now have like our own little social network that where we just use that site to create our little social network and have people join. And it's got all that social network functionality, including, you know, the forum type stuff that you that you have with your stuff. Oh well we'll have to take a look at that I guess. I mean we're always I mean right now we're yeah. kinda happy with the way forums work, but I I don't know. To be honest with you, I'm starting to feel old. You know, I'm thirty three well, years old and I've been things are changing so quickly that <laughs> they are. <laughs> you know I you know, I've been programming since I was 12, and that was 86. So, yeah, I'm a little slow on the uptake when it comes to, uh, <laughs> you know, community. But, uh, yeah, cool. And, you know, you, you mentioned being a shareware game developer, and, you know, I also mentioned indie game developer. Do you see a difference between shareware game development versus indie game development? Well, I mean, I think shareware is kind of a... Shareware is kind of a different thing. Um, basically, yeah, you, you give away your game for free. Well, I do that to a large... I mean, my games are less crippled than what you'd normally get um, off, uh, 
off of uh, the internet. But, uh, you know, you're basically just saying, you know, I am trusting people to send me money because I did a good job and not because I'm, you know, tricking them into buying it due to time limits or things like that. It, and, you know, sometimes you can, with Shareware, you can put crippling and time limits into things, but it's just kind of an attitude, really. Um, you know, actually, Shareware would be more of a difference between Shareware and downloadable games. Um, and I think the indie game scene, I, I think the whole indie thing is, is really more, sounds more like a community idea. Um, you know, people that are not associated with a large publisher. Right? Uh, clearly, a shareware developer is not associated with a large publisher, too. So I think we have, there's a lot of common ground, but at the same time, our reasons for making things are slightly different. So Let's talk about the uh, game after Super DX Ball. That would be uh, Neon Wars? Yes. How did that come about? And oh. Okay, well, uh, actually, Neon Wars is the first game we've ever quote-unquote published. Now you'll notice we published it as like a shareware game, so <laughs> you know, in our in our own way. Um, actually, I've been working with uh, Richard Phipps for for we've been friends for a long time talking over the internet. And, you know, I always said you know you do some cool stuff, you just gotta you know stick with it. And and he's done some great stuff over the years. And finally, we decided to actually work together on a project. He actually programmed all that on his own. I I was able to support him with programming and in testing and, and you know obviously you know what what Blitwise has to offer in terms of being a publisher and you know and resources but ultimately you know he did all the work and we just kind of you know gave the stamp of approval this you know and, and getting my stamp of approval clearly is not an easy thing so you know because I tend to be a little picky yeah <laughs> but uh, he did a fantastic job of making it look like something that we would have made so uh, yeah. we're we're really really happy with that so so what do you think then about this publishing model? Is that something you're going to pursue some more? Or are, you, are you still thinking of sticking to making your own games in-house? Well, I, you know, I'd actually like to do some more games with Rich. Um, or, or other people if they really want to make something that's similar to what we're doing. And it's, it's, it was a huge experiment. In fact, you know, the past seven, eight months have been this, this huge experiment. And some wins and some losses and, and things like that. So I... Publishing games, I, I don't know. I, it, you know, sure, I'll work with Rich again. But, you know, as far as actually, you know, being like a game publisher, I mean, that's hard. Um, and uh, it's, been, it's been exciting, but, you know, I, it's, it's definitely not the, the focus of my company. I, we want to make games. We're just making great games. And, you know, we saw a great game in, 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 in the creation of Neon Wars. And, uh, and we went with that. And it's, we've learned a lot. What's in store then for your upcoming game releases? Any ideas on upcoming products? <laughs> well, sure, but anyone who knows me, or at least <laughs> knows me but not personally, <laughs> would, would realize that I generally tend not to talk about my projects. I, I don't know, maybe I'm sure. just a little... Um, and, well, it, I don't know, I, people think I'm a little bit more sensitive to that than I ought to be. Um, I mean, no, that's na fine. naturally <laughs> what I would... Uh, no, na naturally I... Uh, we're going to stick with what works, I think. We're not going to venture too far from uh, from the path of what Blitwise has already set up. You know, anything more will be, you know, derivative works and things like that until until some really crazy, awesome idea pops into my head. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, with, with the two games that I've created, well, three, you know, all three have been successful, and apparently that's a, you know... That's quite the track record, and, and it's really, when you get to that position, it's really hard to, like, decide on something new, because it's like, you know, how do you, how do you make something that's going to meet those expectations? And, and uh, maybe that's just a struggle I have in my own head, but it's there. You know, how do you, how do you top, you know, DX Ball and, and 
pocket tanks. I don't know. I, <laughs> I wish I knew. So, but uh, we're, we're, we do have some new things that are coming up, and it's going to be pretty exciting. I think 2007 is going to be a great year, and I think that we're going to do a lot of neat stuff. I mean, chances are, by the end of this year, we're going to have network support for pocket tanks, and that is, you know, obviously a huge milestone. So, you know, we're I I have a philosophy of making games uh, and supporting them forever. So again. You know, how many games do you have that are like 10 years old that you can't play anymore? Well, I have, you know, very much uh, every intention of, you know, having pocket tanks available to people 30 years from now. It's just the way that it is. Everything is meant to be, you know, future-proof. Now, you can't really future-proof anything. But as much as I can, I'm cross-platform and, and looking way into the future with not only my designs and being classic yet, you know, modern but also keeping everything so that it'll always be compatible up through the future. So it's a, it's a long-term goal. It's definitely not bang out a game in six weeks, put it out, see if I make money. This is, this is a, a long-term, lifelong commitment. With that said, are you thinking of making your games in Flash or something embedded in a web browser? No, only if it can be compiled in C and <laughs> things like that. I, I don't know if Flash is going to be around in 30 years. Yeah. So, you know, but I'm pretty sure C will. Because <laughs> they'll be, you know, curmudgeon the old people like me that are making sure that, you know, every uh, compiler, you know, every every platform still supports C++. So, What are the artistic goals of your studio then? You know, you mentioned, I mean, that's an interesting concept of having this lifelong support for any product you release and constant updating and improvement of it. Mm -hmm. So any thoughts on the artistic vision of your studio? Artistic vision? You mean like the way the art looks or just our vision for the future? Yeah, your vision, yeah, your design vision. Like, you know, in terms of the games, the style or even, you know, the philosophy behind what you're going to do with your games and well, what that's you a, want that's, your site to go. Well, that's a tough question because, you know, obviously, obviously after going to the GDC, you know, I come back with all these new ideas and I start telling everybody, oh, well, maybe we should make like something like casual, you know, and everything's got to have like a blue sky and white clouds <laughs> and happy fish dancing and things like that. So, you know, um, but those things kind of fade away. I think, I think it's fun. I think it's really, really fun to want to make graphics like in, you know, any of the PopCap games like Peggle or, you know, be these beautiful graphics, um, you know. But I don't know. It's it's not exactly what I had in mind for like the, you know. I, I kind of like to use the Amiga as my inspiration. So it's pretty much you know 16-bit, that sort of a thing. Bright colors against dark background, so you have like high contrast. It's almost like being in a. You know, it's like black black light art sort of a thing. So I, and, and I'm just kind of hung up on that. And I, I, so far, I, I, when I when I think of what the future will be, it'll probably be still high contrast. We might we might we might not have a black background in our next game, maybe. <laughs> but but up until this point, we're pretty much wanting to go for the the really primary colors against the black backgrounds, and and it's a classic look, and it's really hard to go wrong with it. How much time in terms of technical stuff that you have to do versus business stuff? So, say in any given day, what percent of your time is spent on technical stuff versus business stuff? Well, Monday, most of it seems to get you up with business. And then the rest of the week is pretty much, you know, talking with folks and, uh, and development. You know, just making sure everything's running smoothly. Um, so I'd say, hmm, I don't know, about, I probably get 25, 30 hours a weekend for programming, which isn't too bad. Yeah. And 
what would you then say is or i mean do you have any thoughts on the future of innovation in gaming i mean not since you've attended gdc and of course games at least the concept of games has probably definitely changed since the amiga days any thoughts on where things are going or opinions on what's going to happen next in the game industry well, <laughs> if you want me to try to guess what's going to be happening, I would say, <laughs> well, let's see here. This casual game industry, this casual market, um, I think is going to be just really, really big for the next 20 years. Um, excuse me. Wow. <coughs> excuse me. Sure. Um, I think it'll be popular for the next 20 years because basically they're, they're, there's a pocket of people that are like 50, 40, 50, that have time on their hands and money and never pirated games before. So I think that we have just, you know, a pocket of people that are just like old world values and they're, they're good people. And, you know, when they see something good, they like to support it. So I kind of like the people that I make games for, but um, but uh, but most 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 importantly, you know, this is this this pocket of about twenty years where there's going to be people that never played games before. They have money and they have old world values and they don't pirate, and they are coming into the market right now. And that is why there is just so much money in the portal market and why they're dead set on the you know either you're a fifty one year old female or we're not making games for you. But I don't think it can last. I think people are always going to want to make games that are fun for everyone. But, and that's where I think Nintendo is going to win in the end. Because Nintendo is making games for people you know, to make them smile. You know, I liked what Shigeru Miyamoto said. I, I think, you know, and, and that's always been my core value too. You know, his, when I saw him put up the wifeometer in that talk, that was very like, you know, chills down my spine because, you know, I wrote DX Ball for my wife. Wait, what, what was this wifeometer thing for those people who didn't have the privilege of attending GDC. Oh, at the GDC, Shigeru Miyamoto, the fellow that wrote, uh, you know, Mario, and, and he basically is the, the lead, uh, lead designer for, you know, everything cool that's Nintendo, he had this concept uh, called the Wifeometer, and he was talking about how all of his previous games never, his wife didn't, didn't care at all about what they were doing, about what he was doing, even though it was big like Zelda, you know, he thought, you know, she said Zelda's, you know, what's the point? And I guess, you know, at some point along the road, you know, there was Animal Crossing, then he, she saw... Um, his daughter playing it, and you know, for the first time, he saw in his wife's eyes that there was something different, you know, and that she was interested. And and of course now he's, you know, through the years he's, she's turned into like this this. Well, he described her as kind of like a gaming fanatic now, and when she had no interest before, and it's basically he was able to make games finally that that appeal to his wife, and he feels that if it appeals to her, there's a good chance it's going to appeal to to a much bigger market. And and. And it's, you know, like with the X-Ball, you know, I made that game for my wife. Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, I think that pretty much puts it in a nutshell. If you're making games that, that your wife wants to play or your mom wants to play or your sister wants to play, well, maybe, I don't know. But I think, I think you're, you're on the right track, and it shouldn't be about making it super ultra-casual. You just need to make sure that it makes sense to, you know, your significant other. Are there any thoughts of making stuff that's going to be more networked or more social oriented in terms of your future products. Definitely, definitely. I think with the, the the whole purpose of the forums was to get you know toughened up uh, in terms of figuring out how to moderate and how to uh, you know handle the the legal aspects and the the COPA rule, you know all those things to keep you know people under the age of thirteen safe and you know just basically working through it little by little and just you know coming up with a process for actually managing it all. So, I mean, that's really just the beginning of kind of what I have in mind. So, 
so there will be more. <laughs> though I want to yeah. say exactly what we are working yeah, towards fine. more. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we're definitely okay. working at something like you know a game. Um, you know, and, <laughs> sure. And and what would you say are your favorite indie games? My favorite indie games. Oh, let's see. Yes. Well, there's Mega Ball, and Deluxe Galaga on the Amiga. Okay. And there was uh, Spheres of Chaos, which came out well, oh, wicked long time ago on a different computer system. But uh, they just came out with a port with it. Oh, probably about oh five six years ago, seven years ago. Spheres of Chaos, totally awesome particle carnage. It's it's fantastic. Everything's everything's procedurally generated. And it was like wicked long time ago, so it's really cool. And I think you know, of of um, if you wanted to pick out one casual game for me to really really admire, I like Puzzle in Life. Okay. And I also like Bookworm and Chuzzle. But uh, Puzzle in Life, I think, is just awesome. And and and, and it was kind of funny. It came out just before Super DX Ball. I'm like, no way, they stole like my graphics. <laughs> it looks just like Super DX Ball. And it's like, oh, it's just figures. So yeah, I guess ever since then, I've been kind of. Thinking that was a neat game. <laughs> and have you played any MMOs recently? Um, World of Warcraft. And would you say then that that's as well? What are your opinions, like in terms of World of Warcraft and maybe possibly other MMOs? Um, what would you say is your favorite MMO? I've played EverQuest and I've played uh, World of Warcraft, and uh, I like them both. I uh, never was hardcore with any either of those games, and I'm actually not playing World of Warcraft right now. Um, I'm actually playing a couple of other really awesome PC games, but um, you know, with World of Warcraft, I it's just casual enough uh, to you know, once a week we'd all come down to the office and and uh, you know we'd have like a five team you know people all in the same room playing uh, World of Warcraft doing our uh, quests and stuff. It was fantastic. So I mean, you know, it's kind of like you know pocket tanks. I mean, yeah, you can play it over a network, but when you get all five people in the same room doing the same combat and the same, oh, it it's way way better. So um, really, okay. yeah, oh yeah, no, oh, yeah, yeah that, that's that's interesting because you know there there's that trend of like people are like, okay, well, we have to make our thing online multiplayer stuff like that, and with pocket tanks, it is a little different take on multiplayer in terms of. What, what people are doing now. You know, Pocket Tanks is where you have to be on the same computer, and it's two players. And so so that's that's fascinating that you mentioned that it's just more... There's just a better experience when people are in the same room doing the same thing compared to being networked, like, say, from here to someone in another state, something like mm -hmm. that. Yes, but I do get plenty of complaints from brothers who, uh, you know, life has moved on and they're on separate the sides of the country yeah. and they can't play pocket tanks anymore and they're like well when are you going to make a network game I'm like I'm working on it <laughs> but uh, yeah ultimately yeah yeah because some I really... of my friends they'll play World of Warcraft mainly to keep in touch with people that have moved on you know to another place or stuff like that that's why I thought mm -hmm. it was fascinating that you're doing it as a team in the same office uh, with that said you mentioned that you were playing some other awesome PC games mm -hmm. uh, care to elaborate on what those are Oh, right now I am playing uh, Company of Heroes, and I am playing Supreme Commander. In both of those games, I I really like them a lot, especially Company of Heroes. And I have to admit, when I was at the GDC, I did go to uh, one of the talks on Company of Heroes just because, you know, it was about artificial intelligence and it was really awesome to learn about how the jeeps ride around the screen. But I was really just kind of being a fanboy. Because <laughs> I really just like that game a lot, and I figure, well, hey, if I can understand how the artificial intelligence works, then maybe I can beat my friends better. 
<laughs> but uh, it's just a great game. I really like that one a lot. And Supreme Commander too. Uh, really complicated, really interesting. And both those games are just a lot of fun. And it's great because, you know, for a long time I wasn't playing games anymore. And uh, so I really would have to say that, you know, those two games really, really are making a difference in the kind of the way that I look at game development. It's, it's good. It's good to have, you know, that kind of an interest in games again. So, Do you have any last words or bits of advice for indie game developers out there? Uh... Well, let's see here. I get that question all the time from people that email me. Let's see here. The first thing I tell them, depending on how well they type and, you know, their grammar, um, generally, you know, if they don't sound like they're a really good programmer but they want to be, I'll say, why don't you go buy Blitz Max, you know, or Blitz Basic, some version of it, and just go write games until you actually make something people actually go, oh, that's not so bad. Because I think a lot of people jump into this and they're like, you know... Yeah. You make one game and like you know nobody likes it and that's it for them. And no, no, you must be a little bit tougher than that. So <laughs> definitely buy Blitz Basic, skip all the hard programming, skip the C, just become a good game designer, and it goes from there. Um, as far as the actual indie scene, um, you know nothing beats actually a finished product. So, but I think that these days when there's 30 games coming out a week, I think we've got plenty of people out there that know how to make a finished product. So I guess in that case, I am talking to people that have that want to be in the indie game scene, uh, definitely write games and finish them and don't give up and never say die. Because if anything, they look good in, the pro, uh, in, in your uh, profile, your portfolio. <laughs> so, And as far as being you know, a shareware game developer, I can't say that I'd recommend that because I've tried to lead people down that path quite a bit. And, um, and the results are pretty mixed. So <laughs> mostly in the not working out category. So I'd say choose your own path and do your own thing. You know, if you think... If you think downloadable and portal is the way to go, then by all means do it. I think, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And, uh, you know, the cream always rises to the top. That's what, uh, that's what my friend McBay always says, who runs Virtua 64, and I, I believe it. Great. So we're talking with the uh, founder of Blitwise. Um, thanks very much for your time, and take care, man. Bye. Thanks. You too. Bye.